Hey everyone, welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, a podcast that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product designers, and other industry professionals. This podcast is run by Macro Design and Invent and hosted by Philip Belecha. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to putting your product on the shelf. We're taking you step-by-step step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Now onto the show. This is the Product Startup Podcast with Philip Belitza, Episode 2. Welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, helping you turn ideas into successful products step-by-step with your host, Philip Valitza. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Product Startup Podcast. This is Episode 2. Today, I'm joined by David Frankel, the inventor and founder of Perky, the clothing innovation company. David has 20 years' experience in sales, marketing, and manufacturing, and he has spent the last two years launching a product called the Perky Collar, the collar support system for dress shirts. David sells the Perky Collar on PerkyCollar.com and through the Amazon Vendor Express program. On the show, David talks about his experience with getting a patent, prototyping, and going to manufacture. We'll also get the details on how he uses an outside sales team to get into retail stores. He has a great story about how he got out of his comfort zone that I think we can all use to help push us ahead. So let's get started. Hi, Devin. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Maybe you can tell everybody a little bit about yourself, uh, how you got started, and something about the Perky Collar. Sure. Well, it started in April of 2014 when I was getting ready for an important meeting. And I put on a, a white dress shirt and a blazer, and I looked in the mirror, and the left side collar of that dress shirt just looked very droopy and saggy and bottom line, very sad. So I decided that uh, I, need, I kept tugging on it and tugging on it and tried to figure out what I could do to fix it. I took the shirt off, went in the closet, got another one, and the same thing happened. And I said, what the heck is wrong with my shirts? Why are they all looking so sad? And I just I had to find a solution. So I decided that at that moment to go into my daughter, who was at that time five years old's bedroom, and just kind of start looking around. I guess that's the entrepreneur side of me or the creative side of me that's looking for a solution. <laughs> right. and, and suddenly I found uh, some of her headbands. Some were plastic, some were fabric. And I started up looking through all the different headbands that she had until I found two or three that looked like they were you know, reasonable size. And I stuck them under my collar of my shirt to see how they would look. And uh, oddly enough, it actually worked. Uh, and throughout the day, I kept her uh, headband in my collar. Uh, I looked great for the meeting, and I was incredibly uncomfortable, but I knew I was onto something. I knew I found something that really solved a problem for me. The next question became, is this the, the uh, golden nugget I've been looking for all these years as an entrepreneur? And do other people have the same problem? Or am I the only person with a six-month-old to one-year shirt? Everybody else has a brand-new shirt. Maybe I'm the only person with the problem. And I reached out to a company here in Charlotte called Inventus and said, I, th- I have a great idea I'd like to share with you. And in the meantime, I went to a couple dollar stores and picked up 10, 20 different little plastic headbands and a variety of thicknesses and lengths and fabrics and styles. And we sat down and had a conversation about how I thought this headband style or this idea of a headband could help other dress shirts out there become perkier or more, you know, a higher collar or a more uh, professional looking collar. Uh, and that's where the whole process began. Wow, that's pretty cool. You got this awesome idea. What did you do after that to to see if other people had the same problem? Or were you just instinctively, did you think, you know what, I'm a guy and I have this problem and I bet everybody else does too? You know, I just started, at that moment, I started looking around at people in my office. I started looking at people I saw on the street. I started, really, I started watching television, whether it be news, whether it be movies, whether it be sportscasts. And I saw other people have the same problem that weren't wearing ties. And it started coming to me that, you know what, maybe this is a really big problem, especially now that we've gone to more of a business casual environment. Uh, and then when I talked to Inventus and sat down with them for a half hour, 45 minutes with engineers and their marketing people and their website designers, they were very excited. They so I think you've really stumbled on something that can be huge. And at that moment, that's when I realized, well, okay, let's see how huge this can be. So they did their first uh, amount of research they did was on, okay, who could really use open collar devices like this? 
And that's when they gave me a presentation that was, you know, 25 slides on the PowerPoint. And we talked about the military. We talked about hospitality. And we talked about, you know, business professionals. And the question became then, how big is it? Is it just for men? Is it for men and women? And uh, who could really use this device? Because if it's not, if it's not a big enough audience, it's a waste of time and, and money and energy. Absolutely. So after listening to that presentation, I really felt there was enough people to go after uh, in the high-collar market that we should really continue to pursue this. And I kept telling them, please tell me at any point, if you feel like this is garbage and this is a waste of time and money, please stop me because I don't want to get my hopes up. And they said, no, I really feel that the average business professional cares about how they look and there's enough people wearing open collar and not suits and ties anymore that you really have something special here. So let's take it to stage two. And then we just took one stage at a time. And I'm glad to hear that you've asked people for that advice because a lot of times we're, we're slaves to what we create or we're, you know, it's our baby and we don't want anyone to criticize it, but it's really important to get that feedback. Sometimes the people that are closest to you maybe feel like they need to support you more than give you the, the truth. So it's really good that you went out to some third party that they were able to do that market research for you and help you out with that. Yeah, it's very important because you're exactly correct. You know, our friends and family are exactly that, friends and family. They'll tell you what you want to hear more times than not. So it was nice to go to my office and say, hey, what do you think of this? And like, wow, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty cool. Let me try it on. Or that's a pretty interesting idea. Well, that's really special. And it was nice to hear people that you know, are coworkers that don't have any skin in the game, don't care about my feelings, which is great. They can give me an honest truth. And uh, it was inspiring to take it from one stage to the next stage. Uh, but again, I kept saying, even after stage two was done and stage three, please stop me at any time if you think this is not going to work. Right. Don't let me keep uh, pouring money into something or, exactly. or time into something if it's not going to have legs. Well, I think that's huge. Validating customer needs and their wants face to face, especially now. I think people focused on the Internet a lot to do that for them. And I, I bet you got really good feedback from people just by having conversations with them. Before you did all that, did you consider a patent? Yes. Uh, the patent happened uh, November of 2014 is when I sat down with my first patent. Well, I sat down with several 12 patent attorneys to be exact, because I figured that if I'm going to start a business uh, and be a clothing innovation company, I, I need to find the right patent attorney. And most of the patent attorneys thought I was crazy because I interviewed so many. They think you just pick one out of the phone book, any, meeny, miny, mo. you pick one and that's it. And you spend your three to $5,000 depending on the complexity of the product. Uh, but I felt like it was more of a relationship that I was going to be working with this guy for a long, long time. And I had to feel right. And, you know, being in sales and marketing and manufacturing for 20 years, you know, I'm all about, you know, quality relationships. And I was very picky. And it really wasn't about price. It was more about who did I feel most comfortable with? Who did I feel was being the most direct, most honest? Who did I feel had the attention to detail I was looking for? Uh, and who did I feel like I wanted to work with, for, you know, for a long period of time? Uh, I picked one gentleman out who's been a, a great addition to this uh, organization and very attention to details, come through on deadlines as, as required, been available. It doesn't charge me every time I pick up the phone and you know, call him. He's more about the money. He's more about making sure I have a great uh, patent application. We did a provisional first. Uh, I, was, I talked to several different patent attorneys as to which direction I should go. And their advice was, hey, you know, people come out with products and then within a year make a major change and then they're stuck with an expensive bill for non-provisional that, you know, they have to start another one and spend another three to $5,000. He's like, start with provisional, it's less expensive. At least you get your ideas on paper. It's not reviewed by USPTO, United States Patent Trademark Office, but at least it's, you know, you're, you can start talking about it. You can now officially patent pending, even as a provisional. I can start marketing, which is probably the hardest thing for me as a marketer is not to tell anybody about what I'm working on. <laughs> right. Even my wife and my kids, they're like, what are you working on, Dad? They're like, that's the top secret. And that's, I think, the hardest part of not telling anybody until you have that patent pending, you know, that application been filed, I got the certification from the office. Yes, you can start telling people. And that was January 16th of 2015 is when I could officially start talking about it, start my Facebook pages and the social media pages and, and get the word out there. I think that's a great story. Maybe can you talk about how long it took to get to, to that point up until now? We're recording this episode at the end of January 2016. How long has it taken to get to this point? Well, I think once I was patent pending, uh, January of 2015, um, 
at that point, I had some prototypes that, were, that I could officially start showing people, have them test it, get their feedback. And we got some great feedback from my coworkers. Originally, it was gray. Originally, my logo was laser cut into the, the collar. Because I wanted to make sure that if, if someone did rip me off, that I had something special about my collar, some design aspect. I did apply for a utility patent, not a design patent. Because again, with a design patent, you can make a slight little change, and suddenly your design patent is worthless. Right. So I knew I wasn't going to go for that. But I wanted something unique about my collar that said it was a perky collar, not just an ordinary collar or some cheap knockoff. Uh, because the thickness was important to me. The tapered ends was important to me. So it got as close to the, uh, the buttonhole and the button as possible to maximize the lift of the, uh, of the top button region. So again, it was really important to me over the next, I'd say, six months to get out there and get people's opinions, talk to people, not be afraid to talk to strangers. Hey, what do you think about this? Uh, give me your honest feedback. Because again, if you ask just friends and family, they're going to say, oh, I think it's great. No changes. Like, well, that's not what I want to hear. Be, be brutal. It's okay. I, I can handle it. Um, and then as I got feedback, we made changes. We changed the material. We decided to go to a clear instead of a gray plastic. Uh, but again, it all came from great feedback from people. And I talked to probably hundreds of hundreds of people in that three to four, five-month process uh, to make sure I had the, the right look, the right feel, the right thickness. Because overall, your neck is pretty sensitive. So if you have something that's too overly tight, like the headband from my daughter's room, uh, then suddenly it's uncomfortable and you'd rather just wear a tie. Um, so it's important for me to make sure it's comfortable. But at the same time, you know, if you can look good, it's not always comfortable. You know, men don't necessarily wear suits because they feel comfortable. It's because they look great. Uh, same with dress shoes. They're pretty stiff and uncomfortable, but you look great. So I realized there may be a little discomfort, and that's just kind of going along with the territory. But most importantly, did it do its job? And some people say it's too thick, so we thinned it out a little bit, but I wanted it to work. So my concern was if I go too thin, even though it made me more comfortable, suddenly I have people on Facebook and social media blasting me because this thing doesn't work. It's like the free plastic you get when you buy your shirt. So I had to differentiate myself from that free plastic the manufacturers send with shirts because they know collars need support when it goes from the manufacturer to the customer. But honestly, they could care less once the customer has the product. Right. And you put it in your closet, and it gets smashed, and you travel with it, it gets smashed. You know, there's a lot of torture that collars go through. So I was really hoping to help people uh, preserve their shirts uh, a little longer and look their best uh, for interviews, for day-to-day -day business meetings. Uh, and you know, again, at that point, we, uh, you know, I guess it was July of uh, 2015, uh, we started working on packaging which is probably a little late, but I was just so focused on getting feedback to make sure the product was right. I bought the mold, and we started production. Uh, I ordered 5,000 collars. Uh, they were made in China. I did try and have them uh, made in the United States initially, but the majority of feedback I got was, number one, it was more expensive. Number two, they didn't want to stop the production line for my tiny little 5,000-unit production. And I was disappointed because I was really excited about having a made-in-USA product, uh, but it just didn't make sense financially, and I just couldn't get them to stop their production uh, for my little order. So the people at Inventus convinced me, hey, David, I know you want to made in USA. I know it's in your heart, but let's go ahead and get the first 5,000 made, have the mold made in China. It was like $10,000 left to have the mold made there. And then worse comes worse, uh, through the Barry Amendment with the military, if you get a PO from the military for a 50,000 units, 10,000 units, or bring the mold back to USA, it can be a made in USA product, and you can get your wish. But right now, this stage in the game, don't waste money on having the product made in the USA and be bankrupt because you can't make an impact in the world if you're bankrupt. Wow. So do what's right, <laughs> do what makes sense, and that's have it made uh, in China for now. And then you have options later once you're profitable and you're a successful business. You touched on so many points there, and I don't want to get us too far off track, but I want to go just a step back when you were talking about design. You mentioned that you went through several iterations. I think it's really hard for people to know what advice to take from your customers. So you were talking about when it was too thin or versus too thick and some amount of discomfort is okay. That takes a lot of vision. Can you dive into that a little bit more? I would think, well, that you were onto something and maybe they just had to suck it up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a great point because you know, anytime you come up with an idea, uh, you're going to have some naysayers just because they don't like it, they don't think it's important. Oh, I have collar stays. Oh, I have working stiffs. You know, you're really not solving a problem that's out there. And all I could tell them was, yes, working stiffs does serve a purpose, but it's, it does, I don't like the look. I don't like how the collar kind of gets plastered to your, 
your, your, the neck of your shirt. And it just doesn't it's not look I like. And plus, the magnets are so small, my big fingers, I, I just would lose the magnets, and there's $30 down the drain. Or I worry about going off with the metal detectors at the airport when I'm traveling. Um, yeah, with the I've, I've states, definitely lost the magnets, and they've kind of dropped down like into my waistband. And, right. and, and then I'm like searching search for it. On. Yeah, awkwardly, <laughs> like in the men's bathroom, and people looking at you like a weirdo. Right. What are you doing looking down your pants? Yeah. Like, oh, I'm looking for a magnet. Okay. Good luck to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but also color stays. You know, people think color stays are the end all. You know, color stays were invented in the 1950s. So you're talking 60 years ago since we had innovation in the shirt that was really big. Uh, and you still want to wear color stays with my product. Color stays prevent a color from curling. And that's where there's a lot of misconception. Oh, I wear color stays. Oh, I wear metal color stays. Oh, I wear expensive color stays. That's fine. Keep wearing your color stays because it has no impact on my my design and my product. Instead, it enhances my product because instead of having a curly collar and then an upright collar, you have a nice straight collar as well as a collar that's lifted up. So again, a collar stays simply put uh, prevents a collar from curling. The perky collar lifts up the top button region. So you can unbutton one or sometimes even two buttons depending on the, the age of the shirt. So you can have that nice high collar look. But as you uh, to go back to your question, um, you do have a lot of disappointment. I guess in being in sales for 20 years and management and marketing, you know, not everybody's going to get it. Uh, you're going to have your people that want to poo-poo your idea no matter how great it is just because they didn't think of it. Uh, and I actually had a conversation in November, I believe it was, of uh, 2015. A retail owner in California called me and said, I hate you. I was like, why do you hate me? She's like, because I didn't think of your product. I've been in the fashion industry for 25 years. I deal with collar sagging and drooping all the time, and I never came up with a device to solve the problem. So for that reason, I hate you. I'm like, okay, well, hopefully we can still work together. She's like, no, no, I love the. She's like, no, really, I love the product. I think it's brilliant. It's great. She felt it's one of the best innovations she's seen in fashion in a long, long time. And she's like, there is no innovation. There's very little innovation that comes out of men's clothing. Man, that's a great testimonial. That's that's awesome to have somebody like that. And she was really excited. That's the call you get that keeps you going. Because you get 10 no's or 50 no's calling people and say, hey, I have this great product. I want to send to you, test it out. No, thank you. We're shirt and tie people. No, thank you. I'm not dressed unless I'm wearing a tie. No, thank you. We're a suit company. We don't believe in open collar. See, you are kind of, I represent myself, I call myself the storm a lot of times. There's a great phrase I found on Facebook that said, People are telling the warrior, be careful, be careful of the storm. And the warrior responded back, I am the storm. And what that basically means is that you represent change. You're, rep you're disrupting displacence, you know, complacency, and people just expect to do the same thing every day. I wear a shirt and tie, that's it. There's a couple of different types of collars. I can get a higher collar that solves a problem, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and you're gonna have a lot of naysayers that just don't buy into open collar is a, a growing trend. But the more and more, now it's January 2016, I talked to business owners and retail owners, they say 50% of their clients are open collar. And I say at that point, what are you doing to reach that market? What are you doing to help those people look their best? And most of them say, not a whole lot. They just have to buy a new shirt every three to six months. I was like, what about the guy that can't afford to buy a $150 to $200 shirt every three months? What about that guy? What about all the 50 shirts in your closet now? What do you do with those? Do you send them all to Goodwill? I mean, it was true in my situation. My wife was always trying to make room for, for new things. Uh, and I just felt that great quality shirts, shirts I love, patterns I like, colors I like, shirts that look good on me, shirts that I got compliments on. I hated to just give them away to Goodwill. As much as Goodwill is a great organization, I felt the shirts still had some life left. And the primary problem was the collar. Uh, so I wanted to make sure I found a solution to help out those great shirts out there that didn't deserve to be in the, uh, the, the graveyard yet. And I think that's huge. And I think your approach to some of these retailers is really spot on hitting the innovation and seeing where the market is going and trends. While you were talking, I actually reached up and started massaging my own collar because I was self-conscious because, you know, maybe now I need to get a perky collar. It sounds crazy, but that, you know, having these types of conversations makes people more aware of that. People didn't know they needed something until you had that talk with them. Exactly right. I find that definitely the case in stores that don't have an active salesperson talking about the product, it's not a product that's going to sit on a shelf and sell itself because people know what it is. Uh, but the stores that have done really well with it have active salespeople out there saying, hey, have you seen this brand new product that just hit the market? And they're like, oh, what is it? It's a support system for your collar so it doesn't droop and sag. And they're like, most people say, really? That's interesting. Has it been on Shark Tank? Like, not yet. Uh, maybe someday. Uh, but ultimately, it's, here, try it on. But once they try it on and they see how it lifts the top button region, they're like, wow, that's really cool. 
and it's so light and it's so comfortable. I'll take one. I'll take two. I'll take three, four. Uh, and it just, it, it's all because they were introduced to the product. They explained how the product works. They try it on, realize it didn't meet their initial concerns. Again, that complacency. Oh, it's probably, it's plastic. It's probably not going to feel good. It's probably going to be uncomfortable. It's probably going to be stiff. All those worries go away when they try it on and realize that within a couple minutes, they only realize it's there. Uh, and that makes a big difference. So seeing is believing when they look in the mirror and like, wow, look how great my shirt looks with a uh, jacket, not with a sweater, not with a blazer. Before it was tucking under and I was constantly tugging on my shirt all day long. Uh, I don't have to do that anymore. And people call me and tell me, you know what, I can't even wear a dress shirt now without a perky collar. Uh, because I've now, it's like putting my watch on every single day. I just need to know my collar looks great without me having to look in the mirror all the time to check it. And again, we have meetings in morning and afternoon, and we want to look great all day long. And I have found that because of the quality and the durability and the craftsmanship and we, my attention to detail and my lack of desire to have anything but a, a supreme product, that it holds up throughout the day. And a lot of times you forget you're even wearing it. So people tell me how they get undressed at night and they're going to take it off and they forget they're wearing it. It just springs off. I say, well, at least you don't have to worry about washing it in the, in the washing machine because it probably wouldn't do so well in the washing machine. Right. Unlike a collar stay that's kind of stuck in the shirt, uh, right. you make that mistake. Before you did that, did you look at getting some sort of funding for that or did you use your, your own savings? Well, that, that's a great question. Uh, everything I've done so far has been my own personal funding. It's one of those, uh, look at the market, is the market making money for me? And uh, every time I looked at it, the answer was no, unless it was 2014 and 15 just wasn't moving. And uh, you know, I came from a family where you know, your, your money needs to work for you. And I just wasn't seeing it working for me. So I said, what better way to make my money work harder than to invest in myself? I know what my return is going to be. I don't know what the return is going to be in the market. Uh, and even, just, even now, in 2016, you know, the money is not moving. So I, I feel like I made the right choice uh, back in 2015 to invest in myself uh, and to self-fund it. I've actually had several people, especially over the Christmas holiday, say, I love the perky color idea. Can I buy equity in your company? I was like, well, right now, I don't want any partners because I want to have 100% uh, ownership of my business. And that's one of the things I've, I've looked for is the pitfalls of other companies is they get partners too soon and they give up equity too soon. So that was always in the back of my mind. Like, I appreciate the compliment, uh, but I want to I fund this 100% myself. Now, again, I, I can tell you, kind of like Damon John's book, The Power of Broke, it, it's, at times you do feel like, okay, at what point is this revenue going to justify uh, all my time and money and expense and risk? Uh, but I feel like I got everything in order now. I'm going to Magic in February of uh, this year, next month, to be in front of tons of uh, men's clothing store uh, owners, and it will pretty much be my, my coming out party. It'll be the time for me to get in front of hundreds of hundreds of retail owners and get this product nationwide. I'm in six states now, uh, plus Jay Hilburn has another six to seven states. They have uh, their, their reps are selling product for me, but I feel like I've done it at a nice, slow, steady pace. Uh, I couldn't handle someone that said, I want 10,000, 20,000 right this second. I would need 60, 90 days to have more collars made. So I feel like I've had a chance to go slowly, but at a pace that is manageable, not overly stressful, and not taking so much money that I'm now bankrupt and now uh, selling my house, and uh, you know the stress really kicks in. Right, you you basically had an incremental, predictable growth, so you can kind of go back and project where you think that you're going to be, and kind of make the necessarily changes to be to get there. Correct. And with Inventus, the process of prototyping and 3D sketches and uh, the 3D printing, everything is laid out in stages where I own everything related to the product as also very important to me. Don't fall for InventHelp. There's other companies where they own the IP, they own the rights to the art. Make sure you own everything because you're going to need that down the road. And if you want investors, they want to know that you own everything. They don't want to know that you're only 10% or 20% ownership of different components of your business. So that 100% ownership is very important. It's tempting to let them do things for you. Uh, maybe it's cheaper, but it's ultimately more expensive for you in the long run when you got to buy it back from them when you have a great product. I'm really glad you mentioned that. I think there's definitely a lot of invention help companies out there. They don't give the IP back to the inventor or that have all sorts of restrictive requirements on licensing. And it's hard to wait through that. We talked about funding for a little bit. Can you talk about what you had to put up front and then how you picked Inventus? Sure. I think overall for 2015, I haven't done my taxes yet for 2015, so I don't know the exact number in my head. Uh, but I would say it's probably between forty dollars and $60,000 overall from start to finish. That's the mold. That's the 5,000 units. Um, that's the trade show I just paid for uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, that's a lot of the prototyping. That's the sketching, the sketch work that I had to go to, to China to make sure everything was done exactly right. Um, and there's still more to come. 
but majority of the expense is over, which is good. Uh, and again, I had such a simple device, I felt I could handle the investment. Where if you have moving parts and a lot of electricity and a lot of components, then obviously the price tag to get a product to launch is much, much higher. And therefore, you need to do uh, different Kickstarter programs and different things to help generate some revenue. I do think that if you have something 100% invested, uh, someone else paying for your product 100% of the way, you don't have as much skin in the game. And I listened to a one-hour uh, broadcast by Damon John last night about the power of broke. And I can relate to a lot of what he was saying because part of what motivates me is it is my money. It is my investments. It's money that my family set aside for me you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And now I'm spending that money that I could just sit in the bank and watch the, you know, the pennies go here and there from year to year. But I chose to take a different path, which is invest in myself. And I'm sure scare the heck out of my family. But at the same time, this could be much, much bigger than what was sitting in that account. Um, and when I'm working with the Mentis, since they gave me those scales of, okay, here's stage one, stage two, stage three, this is what it costs, I could set aside the money so I can mentally understand and budget for those upcoming expenses. And nothing took me by surprise. Everything was on, on stage. Packaging was probably one of my other big, big challenges. I didn't realize how much packaging was going to cost me. So I tried doing a lot of it myself. We got a lot of feedback on Facebook. I was part of a group called Shark Tank Entrepreneurs. They gave me a lot of great feedback, some very uh, direct. <laughs> some wasn't really prepared for to right. tell me I, I was a fool and I wasn't listening and you're crazy and purple's awful. And I said, purple's an accent color, relax. Like, no, too much purple. You know, so it was good to have that feedback. And I, I'm proud that based on that feedback I got from people, based on the Shark Tank Entrepreneur Group's uh, take on getting a box versus getting a hang tag or a piece of you know, plastic. Because again, you're thinking about a plastic device. You know, how are you going to present it to the market? Are people going to know where it is? It came from a headband. So if you, if you try and sell it like a headband, it's going to automatically uh, be conceived as a cheap product. And it wasn't a cheap product. It works really well. But if you don't have a certain price tag, then people just dismiss it as being cheap plastic. So there, that was the hard part for me is, you know, who does this product for? And how do you convey that in a package? So I looked at tons and tons of different packaging concepts, which again, every time you, the longer you take, the more samples you look at, cost you money, fortunately. But I felt this is a very important decision. And, you know, how do I get the whole thing to come together? And I had a really nice, you know, package to take to retailers to now sell. But I really wasn't 100% convinced that that was the package I wanted to be my product. So we kept looking and we kept looking and we, we stumbled on another package that I thought was this beautiful, it was a leather box, had a magnetic lid, had a little purple tab, which kind of had a little uh, artistic flair to it. And majority was black and white because I felt it was very elegant, and, but it had some purple highlights just to kind of grab your attention. But again, that packaging was hard because you want to attract men and women because it is for both men's uh, dress shirts as well as women's blouses. Well, and, and, and women might be buying that for their husband as well, I imagine. So there's probably some marketing thought in there that you had that you wanted to make this a high-end luxury feel product and that appealed to both genders. Exactly right. And that's where Inventus really came in. And we had a 30-minute PowerPoint presentation again on, you know, what's the logo you like? What's the colors you like? You know, purple, you know, despite the feedback I got on Facebook was it's girly color. Uh, it's also a color of royalty. And that's what I was going after. I wanted a high-end, like you mentioned, a high-end quality product. Yes, it's plastic, but it's not about the plastic device, honestly. It's about how you feel. It's about the confidence that you exude because of the collar. It's because of looking professional. It's the attention you get when you walk in a room and you have a nice high-collar professional look and a blazer. People are going to look at you. People are going to have a different impression of you when you walk into an interview and how great you look. It makes a difference in the world. So now the question is, how do I present how that feels in a box. And how do I illustrate this product? Because it's new. And again, people aren't going to walk up to it and say, oh, perky color. I need to have one of these. Or my husband told me to buy one of these for him. They're, they're looking at a, a black box for the window and saying, what is a perky collar? I already have collar states. I mean, that's typically the impression. But hopefully they flip it over and they read the illustrations which Inventus created for me. They read, you know, kind of what the product does, a brief two sentence because people aren't going to read a lot of information. I learned a lot about, you know, less is more. Keep it simple. Use illustrations. People are uh, not going to read a paragraph long about your, your product. As much as you think it's great, people just aren't going to read all the intricate details about your product. So keep it simple, stupid. Uh, and make sure the product packaging is elegant but also conveys what it is and how it works and make sure it's the colors that are friendly to both male and, uh, male and female. I'm glad that you, that you talked about a lot of that stuff because I think it's hard to get into the mindset of who's the user and who's the purchaser and who's the decision maker around buying a product. And sometimes they're not all the same person. 
how do you get into all those people's heads, uh, you know, individually? And I guess you had a lot of help from Inventus, but you probably also interviewed some people directly just, just on packaging, I imagine. Exactly right. Yeah. Coworkers I talk to, neighbors I talk to, uh, and I showed them stages and like, oh, that's nice. Like you could tell they weren't overly excited. So I knew it wasn't on, I uh, hadn't hit a home run yet. But when I finally got to my, my latest packaging and I got the prototypes from China, it didn't fit initially. So I had to go back to the drawing board and make some more changes. And I, and I started showing it to the same people that had been with me the whole process uh, in my office. And they said, this is beautiful. This is a, is a home run. You've really, you found the right package now. And now the question becomes, okay, who else wants to, to offer my product in their stores? So, you know, that's the other issue is that not this is a great for direct to consumer, but is it the elegance? Is it the look that retailers want to have in displaying your product in their stores? And then it also determines, you know, as far as which type of stores want to carry the product. So I start out with dry cleaners with the cheaper box, because I, I just didn't, I think it generated the price tag I was really ultimately hoping for, which is now $19.95. Then it was $14.95 with the, with the simpler box. You couldn't really store it in there. But it, it was in a dry cleaner, so it needed to be a little cheaper product. And uh, dry cleaners embraced it greatly. My only challenge was communication because many dry cleaner owners I had a hard time communicating with. But the ones that I could communicate with loved the idea because they knew which customers complained a lot about their collars. And they knew it would sell well. And then once I went to the nicer box, that's when the men's clothing stores really fell in love with the new box because it had the, the higher level of elegance they wanted to portray in their stores. So I kind of have the, the lower end box and the dry cleaners and the higher end box and the men's clothing stores. And then we ran into you know, grooming lounges and barbershops and you know, people want to look their best. And there's a lot of barbershops out there now that are charging $30, $40, $50 for a shave and a haircut. Could they afford a $20 perky collar that they can use over and over again in all their dress shirts? Of course they can. So now, again, where do I find room on their shelf? with the other products for their hair and you know moisturizer for their aftershave and I haven't really found a place that couldn't be sold I'm even in Merle Norman a cosmetic store for women just because they felt that a lot of women that are buying stuff for themselves are still looking for things for their husband and it would be a great fit and they've done really well you know and, and again I'm working on uniform companies because I feel like anyone that wears open collar dress shirts for work should have a perky collar to have consistency that's especially applicable to hospitality to airlines as well as the pilots or flight attendants you just had to start brainstorming. Who else could use an open collar support system? You know, is it really going to be a big product in the United States or is it really going to be an international product? In Nigeria, they do, you know, uh, after work, they put on their Sunday best, no matter how poor they are, they put on their Sunday best and they dance and stroll through the neighborhoods. And there's videos on YouTube where you can watch this. So maybe Nigeria is a place for the perky collar. You know, I went to fashion shows and England is really big on high collar professional look. Italy, obviously. You know, so the... The sky's a limit. It's just a matter of how do you stay focused? Where do you, where do you start your energy first? And how do you kind of just naturally, organically grow? And it's been interesting to see who my followers are and where they come from on Facebook. And I have an order from Australia. You know, who'd have thought that through social media, someone in Australia would buy my perky collar? But it's cool to know that it's in Australia now. It's in Canada now. It's in probably out of the 50 states, I'd say a good 25 to 30 different states in the country. But I think it all is about trying to find the target market find the retail stores because I want to have grassroots. One of the things I told the retail stores is it's not about me getting to big box stores, even though I've tried and talked to all of them. I'm too early for that. But I want to make sure it's grassroots. I told them when you decide to buy a perky collar, whether it's 10, 20, 30, 50, doesn't matter to me. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take your name, address, phone number, pictures of your store inside and out. I'm going to put it on my Facebook page and welcome you to the perky collar family. And I'm going to drive traffic into your store as a way of saying thank you. I'm not going to like your page on Facebook to show that I care and I appreciate you taking the time to support me in my venture you know, to, to cover the country with a new product. Because I, I feel like it's important to help these small businesses. You know, all our orders are going online. Obviously, I have my own e-commerce website. But it's not going to be the end-all, be-all. My margins are best online. But I, I, I'm not going to touch people, as many people as I want, just with my online website. So I really need them to help me. So I need, I need to help them, too. And then also, as additional products come out, because we are a clothing innovation company, I have that relationship already built. So that second product can go in much, much easier because that relationship's already there. Right. You already have that established network. Exactly right. So it's not easy. I mean, the grind of calling uh, retailers on a daily basis, send them emails, phone, up the phone calls, find out who to talk to, send them samples. And you get about 10, 20% that say, yes, that sounds cool. Send me a sample. And of that, another 50% will, will take, take on the product. But it's grueling. 
And you hear a lot of people say, no, thank you. It's not for us. No, thank you. Not for us. And it does take a special person to keep fighting through. And then you get that call from California that says, I think it's brilliant. That gives you the energy for the next couple of days to keep calling. But you just need one person to love it, like it, think it's a great idea. You know, every couple of days just to kind of keep you going. Because no one likes to be on the phone eight hours a day and making phone calls. I'm much better face-to-face presenting, demonstrating how the product works, which is why I'm looking forward so much to the trade show where I can demonstrate my product, I can use my passion, my love for the product, and my you know, passion for looking, you know, looking good and help other people look good face-to-face, they can visually see that color lift up, which is something I can't do online. And even though I'm on Amazon, and even though it's going well on Amazon, it would be so much better if I could you know, you know, I have a video on Amazon. It's so much better when I can do a live demonstration and people see that color literally lifting in front of their very eyes. It's not magic. It's just the way the color works. So that before and after is really, really powerful. And it's hard to convey that over the phone and the email. Right, right. I have so many questions for you. First of all, congrats on going international. I think that's huge. Are there any concerns with um, you've got a domestic patent in the U.S. Uh, now you're selling it in Australia? Are you hoping that being first to market is strong enough to kind of keep you there? That's a great question. And that's a question I asked both Inventus as well as my patent attorney. And I had offers before I sold that one to Australia. Uh, I think it was Turkey or from, uh, I think from Russia even. I love your product. Uh, let me know how much shipping would be. I'm like, oh, I have no idea how much shipping would be. Let me go to the post office and find out. But they basically said, you know what, being first to market is first to market. People are going to copy you. Just get used to it. Just make the best product possible. And you know, the challenging part is you're right. My, my $3,000 for a U.S. patent covers me in, in U.S. So they can't import a product that competes with my patent. So that's hopeful. You know, that, that's a little bit refreshing. Or, and it's helpful to know that that's in place. But what stops someone in China to make my same product? What stops someone from putting it out the back door? And that's where you just have to trust your relationships. Inventus has a relationship with the uh, manufacturer in China. And I was just hoping that, nothing, you know, I haven't seen anything online. I haven't seen anything on Alibaba. I haven't seen anything anywhere else. That's exactly my product. So, so far, so good. But it is a concern. I mean, you do have to worry about your baby, which it is. It's your baby being made by somebody else that you put your time, effort, money into, sacrifice your life savings for a product that you hope and pray is not copied and then you're wiped off the planet because they have deeper pockets than you do. So that's definitely a concern. But according to the patent attorney, it just it is what it is. And you can spend 1000 to $3,000 in every country that you want protection. But how much money do you want to spend on that? And, you know, maybe look at where the most interest is and get the protection in that country. But don't go out and spend $100,000 on uh, protecting in countries that really have no interest in your product. Absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, form these relationships first. You know, even in industry, we don't patent most of the products. Most of the products that you see on Amazon aren't patented, actually. And there's maybe some truth to that where you've protected the largest market for you, which is the United States. And that's where you, you, know, you feel you have the most impact. And the rest of the stuff, you're hoping that your relationships with uh, your customers and suppliers are gonna, and, and retail stores are going to be there to carry you through. I want to highlight all the actions that you took to get into those stores because I think that's one stumbling block that people have is, okay, I've manufactured this product. And until now, maybe you were doing the assembly in your in your kitchen or dining room. Is that... Well, the packaging assembly was definitely in my dining room. Yeah. Uh, it kids help a little bit, but at the same time, because it's a retail package and they can have the right to refuse the package if it doesn't look perfect, I was uh, you know, probably a little selfish when it came to packaging. But at the same time, it's your image. You got to make sure the package looks great because if it doesn't look good, they can't put it on the shelves and that's just a, a sunk cost for me. Right. No, absolutely. So, so then at, at that point, you started making the calls and basically being your own distributor. Correct. Well, I want to I want to test the grounds. I want to see what, what was the feedback, you know, because again, I did hire some sales reps uh, across the country to help. Most of them haven't done a whole lot. I do have one manufacturer out of Raleigh who's done a great job. He already goes to trade shows, already in the industry, already has a lot of contacts. He's blasted the product out to several of them. He sold you know three or four different retail connections, which has been great. Just talking to someone right now that lives in Texas, I believe. Oh, no, Kansas. I'm sorry. And um, I don't have any presence in Kansas now. So I said, if you love the product and you'd like to help me, and if it's just part-time, you're more effective. And if I can make the calls for you and have you walk in the door and close the deal, that's great. Uh, it will be teamwork. And I told him, 
first you know, point blank, I'm going to be the boss you always wanted because I've been in the, the trenches. I know what it's like to work hard, get a big sale, and not see a commission check for a month. As soon as it goes on the website and I get paid, a commission check goes out right away. And the sales reps that are working for me love that about me because I treat them the way I always wanted to be treated. And I think it's very important in developing that team uh, as I continue to grow and as I continue to find sales reps that want to sell for me, uh, I think it's really important to take care of people and follow through and give them the resources and the tools they need, business cards. I send them my retractable banner, which wasn't cheap, but if he's going to trade shows for me and saving me the thousands of dollars on trade shows, the least I can do is give him the tools he needs to be successful. Absolutely. No, that's that's really great that you mentioned that. So you basically have outside sales reps that are uh, working for you on a commission basis. So you cut a certain rate. Is there like an industry standard for that? You know, I think 20% is a typical commission structure for the products. Then you have to think about, okay, how do you price things? You have your wholesale prices because every retailer wants as much money as possible. It's almost uh, appalling how much they get. And honestly, they make more money than I do per unit. So obviously, selling my website is the ideal because it's the highest profit range for, profit margin for me. And then you have to figure out, okay, well, if he's going to sell to direct consumer, then I have a little more playroom because that's the same margin I would normally get from the website. But I want to, I have to incentivize him. If, he's, if there's no money in it for him, He's not going to work all that hard. So I give him the same as a wholesale because he's out there grinding, calling, visiting. Uh, and then if they sell to a wholesale or a retailer that's going to be selling it, buying it at a wholesale price, I give them a couple of dollars per unit. But it should be a bigger sale. It should be a 30, 40, 50 unit sale. Um, so hopefully that's enough incentive. Plus, you know, it, it's, you're starting something brand new. So there should be residual income as well. So I have to help them understand, yes, you only made $50 on that order or $70 on that order. But if they're ordering every month 30, 40 collars and you have 10 accounts, now you're starting to make real money. So you have to help them visualize the snowball effect. Otherwise, it becomes disheartening for them to start helping you when they're only making an extra 50 bucks, 100 bucks a week, a month, whatever the case may be. But I explain no, the harder you work, the more money you're going to make. But it's, t- it's going to take time. And I'm asking you to quit your full-time job to come working for me. This is just a part-time thing in the evenings or the weekends to make a little extra money. But I think Perky can be a great company, and we can have national distribution. But it, I, I need people like you to get out there and, and work hard. I'm not asking you to work as hard as I do, but I do need you to work hard to help me penetrate your market. I'm not even asking you to travel. Just penetrate your market the best you can, develop quality relationships. And I'm really picky about who I hire, making sure they have customer relationship experience. I'm a real critical of customer service. Because when I get an order, it goes out the same day. I have zero tolerance for things to sit around or I have to wait through to get the queue and they ship it out later that week and you get it a week later. You know what? You have excitement about my product. It needs to go out the same day. I ship with insurance. I ship uh, priority only. And people criticize all the time. Why don't you send you know, snail mail? Why don't you send it ground and they'll get it in a week and you'll save yourself two bucks. I'd rather an excited customer get the product right away than get it a week later and be checking with me. You know, what's the update? Because I want them to see the stages of their purchase into their hands. I let them know, hey, your package is on your doorstep at 2.25 p.m. this afternoon. So they look for it. It doesn't get lost. And they go home excited to go pick up their package. And they're more likely also to give me you know, before and after pictures because they felt that I cared about the product getting not just for me. And I got the sale. I'm done with them. But their relationship's just beginning. I want them to proudly talk about how it's changed their life, how they look better in an interview. I want them to show before and after pictures because if they can sell for me, it's much more effective than me selling for me. Absolutely. You know, and, and so touching on the hiring the sales reps, I bet you probably do really well speaking to reps that already go to existing men's accessories or men's clothing stores or whatever your target market is. And so this is just an additional revenue stream for them that they can pitch. Or have you found it the other way where maybe your product competes with something else that they're trying to sell and maybe your product doesn't get as much attention whenever they're pitching? Well, I think it's both. Uh, I think you have some employees I hire that use working stiffs or use collar stays or metal stays and they feel like it does a good job. But when they try the perky collar, they're like, wow, I like how this looks. I like how it feels. And I, I'm going to ask them to do is go in and talk to people you already know just because it's new and it's different for you. Get their feedback. And then I'm happy to even make calls for you. I'm happy to set up appointments for you to walk in because I think it's more powerful for you to walk into a store in, in Wichita, Kansas. I already talked to you. I've already got you excited about the product. But instead of me sending a sample and being very informal and very blah, you walk in with the same enthusiasm I have in Charlotte, North Carolina, you have in Wichita, Kansas. You can give them a demonstration. They can see their top button region of a collar resurrect. Now you can close the deal for 20, 30, 40 units because you're there face-to-face. They can identify the company with a person versus just sending over the mail. And they don't know who I am, where I am. So there's a lot of disconnect just trying to sell over the telephone. I mean, obviously, it's a necessary evil, and a lot of people don't like it. But neither did I I like setting up in front of uh, a store... 
during Christmas time. That was definitely outside of my comfort zone, but it's a necessary evil. You have to do it. If you're comfortable, you're not making progress. You have to constantly, day in and day out, take yourself outside your comfort zone. Approaching people at a restaurant that have a, a bad-looking collar is not my comfort zone. It drives my wife crazy. My family's crazy. I was at dinner in, in Baltimore, Maryland, coming back from a Pennsylvania soccer showcase. And we had dinner on the, on the patio, and there was a big group of guys all wearing open-collar dress shirts, all wearing blazers. And I just I couldn't look at them without saying something. So I told my daughter, let me go, let me go show this guy my product. He's like, Daddy, you're embarrassing me. I was like, I know. Hang in there. I'm going to teach you a lesson on how to, how to sell <laughs> when you eat dinner. That's so awesome. I walked up to him and said, hey, sir, I'm an inventor from Charlotte, North Carolina. I have this brand new product. It lifts up the top button, reaches under your dress shirt. And then all, immediately he grabbed his collar. He's like, yes, it's been driving me crazy all day. He's like, would you like to take a look at the product? He's like, sure. I go to my trunk. I get a sample out. I give it to him. And the first thing he does is look to his guys. There's like 10 of them around. And say, guys, what do you think? And they all said with convincing nods, you look so much better. He's like, great. I'm going to buy one for every one of my employees at Cintas in the Baltimore, Maryland market. And then they started passing around. I'd say 10, 15 guys then passed around the perky collar, all tried on, asking for people's impression. Looks better. Great. I'll take one. Unfortunately, at that moment, I didn't have a lot to, to sell. All I had was you know, prototypes. Uh, but I had their business cards, and they placed an order. And I was excited that my ability to get outside of my comfort zone led to a nice sale at a restaurant when I really wasn't working. But you're always working. When you're an inventor, you don't stop working. You're always watching. Who could use my product? How can I change someone else's life? So that was a fun story. That's really amazing. I'm glad that you shared that story. And I think that goes to show everybody that you have to constantly push and you don't know what's going to hit. It's a numbers game, I guess, right? It is. Constantly talk to as many people as that, that will listen to you. Right. You're right. I can't go to dinner. I can't go to any restaurants, any patios, any hotels without showing someone the invention because it's, you know, it can help them. The thing I can't control, I can't control people that don't care how they look. So if you don't care how you look, you don't need my product. If you don't wear dress shirts, you don't need my product. But the majority of people that do care, the majority of people that wear dress shirts can use my product. It's a man tool and a female tool. And you may not need it for every shirt, but there are those shirts that you love. There are those shirts that are your favorites. There are those shirts that you spend good money on that you're not ready to give away to Goodwill. And if I can help one person, two people, ten people, thousands of people save that shirt from going to Goodwill or given to Salvation Army or thrown away, then I think I'm doing a great service. But most importantly is how I can make someone feel when they walk into a meeting, they walk into an interview, they just got back to work, and they have a nice high-collar professional look. They have a, a higher, higher ability rate. Just because they, they feel more comfortable, more comfortable, and that to me is worth all the money in the world. You know, and you spend 20 bucks, but now you look great all the time, and you don't have to worry about that, that droopy color feeling ever. I, th I think it's great. I mean, that's where I really want to change things. Uh, and my ultimate goal is actually to have it licensed, wash my hands with a perky collar and not be selling perky collars out of my trunk forever, but to license it into the buttonhole, uh, create a buttonhole in the collar chamber of a dress shirt, and then we can slide in and slide out. So then it'll be treated just like a collar stay. And then you can leave it in your shirt when you hang it up, when you travel, and then I just wash my hands of it and just get a license check and then move on, use that finances to create additional products and you know additional innovations that I'm hoping will truly help people feel good about their clothes, look better, and feel better about uh, you know, presenting themselves. Well, you know, I'm glad that you summed everything up that way. You spoke about what your motivations are. It's not about making money. It's about having this huge impact in the world. And to some people, it's, it's a way to keep your collar up. But to you, it's a feeling. It's this huge benefit when you come in, you have this attitude or maybe this confidence that you're able to, you know, to handle wherever you're at right now better because you feel better and you look better. That's huge because that kind of ties into your pricing, right? You're selling a product at $19.99 that arguably is a piece of laser cut plastic. I think that for some inventors, that's a hurdle. Or for me as an engineer looking at it, I know the manufacturing costs and I know some of your distribution costs to have that vision to say, you know what, I'm going to sell this for $20, but then back that up with, here's all these tangible benefits for that. I'm not selling you at a cost plus, I'm selling you at the value of the product. That's, that's huge. And so I'm really glad that you touched on that. Definitely. And actually, it was interesting you mentioned price team. Uh, 1995 to be exact, but 1999 is not far off. <laughs> um, but how you price your product is also something I learned a lot about. Initially, you think of, okay, well, here's my cost. I worked for a, a playground manufacturer for seven years, and they had their 20% and 20%, and 35% on top of 20% was retail, and, and that's how they came up with the retail price. But with with products that are in the market, especially in a retail market or a men's clothing, it's not about what it costs you. 
And that's where, even though it's a piece of plastic, I couldn't just say, okay, my cost is X multiplied times 35%, and that's my retail price. I had to base my price on what else sells similar to my product already in stores. So really what I'm competing against is cufflinks, uh, metal collar stays, and working stiffs. And working stiffs is $30. So really, working stiffs is the closest competition I have, and it's priced higher than mine, and I think they're smaller and easier to lose. Excellent. I'm glad that you mentioned that. People instinctively think, hey, you know what, collar stay, that's a couple bucks, and I get that free from a shirt. But there's already a competitor out there in the market that is charging more than you are. So not only do you have a you know a better product or, a, you know, I guess, a different product that solves a different need, but it's within the expectations of what customers are already willing to pay for. Exactly right. And you have to do your research. I mean, you have to do the grind. Go to the stores and see what's out there. See what you're competing against and know your market. And if there's a ton of competition, you may not want to enter the market and with that product. You may want to go to the other plan B or plan C of your ideas that you want to bring to market. But see how much competition's out there. Look at the price. Look at the packaging. You know, I did a lot of research on handkerchiefs. I mean, how much does a handkerchief cost? A nickel? I mean, a dime at the most? You'll find pocket squares for 6 to 10 to $12 at some of these men's stores. You're exactly correct. And actually, one of the models I had was a package of, I think, six or eight pocket squares or handkerchiefs, and it was $36. I said, holy cow, how do you sell handkerchiefs for $36? It was a really nice box. So I started realizing, hey, you know what? If I have a really nice package and I have a box, people automatically assume a box is a nicer quality product, then they're willing to pay $36, and it looks more like a gift. And that's another one of the factors that caused me to go to my box was I had a guy on Facebook say, go box, it'll look more elegant, more expensive, and your margins will be better. And he was 100% correct. But again, to see that box of handkerchiefs, and I think it was a Belk retail store, for $36, I had to buy two of them just so I could see it for myself, show it to inventors, say, hey, can we make a box similar to this? And my box has a lot of attributes that this uh, handkerchief box had because I want to charge $20, $30 because I want people to feel elegant. I want people to feel this is a really special gift. If it was a perky collar on a hang tag at the dollar store, you wouldn't care much about it at all. It wouldn't be an elegant present. But the fact it's in a nice leather box with a little lid that's got a magnetic lid to it, the purple tab sticking out, it feels elegant. And now I can store my perky collar in it between uses. Or if you just have a hang tag, what do you do with the perky collar between uses? You throw it in your, your, maybe your bathroom counter. It's clear. It's easy to lose, to be honest with you. So having the box, to me, is a safekeeping for the, uh, somebody that helps you feel good and look good all the time. And I did hear stories of people that are traveling that bought the other box, the, the uh, early box. They were traveling to hotels, driving the cities and staying in hotels, and they left the perky collar on counters, and maids were throwing it away. They thought it was the same plastic that came in the shirt that, they, that comes with when you buy it. So that also led me to making sure that customers had a nice box to put it in. So as long as you store it in the box, don't leave it on the counter. There's your warning. Not replacing ones that are thrown away by maids, but put it back in the box because you care about your product. You care about looking good. And my design, my product, my blood, sweat, and tears for the last two years deserves a nice case. There's a nice package. That's great. We're nearing the end of the show here, but I know I'm going to get in trouble if I don't ask you this question. Um, how did you get into Amazon? You mentioned that you're selling on Amazon. How did you make that happen? Uh, great question. I, I'm fortunate to be uh, invited to an event in Atlanta, Georgia, where Edison Nation partnered up with Amazon. So I presented in front of Amazon. I kind of felt like I was on Shark Tank. I was like, where's the music? You know, the dun, 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 the, the Shark Tank music. And they laughed. They kind of lightened the mood a little bit. I had like two minutes to set up. I threw a tablecloth down that has perky collar on it, set up my mannequins, and I did a quick demonstration. There were six judges. Three were employees of Amazon, and three were Amazon partners. And I presented to them in about three minutes. They sent me out of the room and discussed it. They brought me back in the room and said, we love it. We love your margins. We love the product. We love the idea. We see this being a great possibility on Amazon. I felt like I was on America's Got Talent. I feel like one of those kind of those moments where they said, welcome to the Amazon Vendor Express program. And I said, that's it? I'm in? He's like, yes, you are. So please go. Here's your yellow paper. Take it to the room down the hall, and they'll set up your account. And at that moment, I'm like, wow, that wasn't so bad. You know, I just did my thing, showed them how it worked, and uh, they were excited about the product. And then for the next hour, I sat with uh, some of the Amazon employees, and we set up the account, tied my bank account to it, sent them some pictures, and did everything we could to get everything set up properly. So we can start selling on Amazon. And it was a process. I mean, there was some, some kinks along the way because I didn't have, they didn't really have a product category for the perky collar because, again, it's brand new. You know, what, what category does it fit in? But they did sell men's accessories on Amazon as a whole, but the perky collar didn't really fit in the Amazon Vendor Express categories. I actually got an email back about a week after going to Atlanta saying, I'm sorry we rejected your product. 
So I immediately sent to my guy I sat with for an hour and said, how can you reject my product after I spent this much time? Meanwhile, my product I mean, it actually went live and then it came down. Um, so here I am excited. Hey, look, at, I'm on Amazon. Woo! And then suddenly my product's down. I'm like, what's going on? Reach out to him about a week, week and a half go by. This is in October of 2015. He said, we have to relaunch you, reset the account, uh, everything's you know, squared away. We're going to create, I guess they're going to create a category for me. We're going to fit you into a category that's existing. I think they did it in beauty instead of men's apparel. I was like, I don't care what category you put me in as long as you, you know, put me on there. And then after that, they, they, you know, they asked for 12 samples. I don't know if anyone understands how the process works. Let me run through it briefly. You have to give them 12 samples, which stinks because you get no revenue for that. In that period of time, they see how well they sell. And based on how they sell, determines how big of a PO that they're going to write for you. And my problem was my hiccup happened during this whole you know, 12 items for free. So I felt like, hey, you really didn't give me a true two-week period because you, I was up for a week and a half, then I was down for two weeks, and I'm back up again. So I think it messed up the logarithms a little bit as to how big the first PO was. I think my first PO was for five units. So it wasn't a big PO, but at least it was the first PO. And since then, I've gotten probably 25 different POs from them. Most of them are small, between five and 10 units. But we're still making steady progress. We're about 25 to 40% every month, better and better each month. We've sold probably 75 units on Amazon so far. Uh, again, I'm hoping for 750 thousands of units. Uh, but it's a start. And it definitely was a great opportunity to get in front of uh, Amazon customers because of their, their customer base. But again, as an entrepreneur, you can't give up just because you got that email that says rejected. You don't just throw the towel in and walk away. You, you demand why. I just saw the movie Joy recently. Great example of how when something doesn't go your way, you can't just let it go. You keep fighting. So I had to keep fighting for Amazon because I thought it was another opportunity to get my product to market. And after lots of headaches, that bittersweet relationship developed a little bit because I felt betrayed. I took all that time, drove to Atlanta four hours drove into the middle of the night to get home. Now suddenly I'm in, now I'm out. What's wrong with Amazon? Just make a new category. I mean, what's so hard? But again, they have their processes and their, their purpose of this whole Vendor Express program. Uh, but it's been great ever since. I get an email every Monday morning at 5 a.m. with my new PO. I ship it out to them. They pay for the shipping, which is great. I set the price that they pay for my units. Uh, it is Net60, which is the only company that I let Net60 go. Everyone else is paid up front because I'm delivering the product at that moment. But at the same time, you got to play by the rules. You got to play by the, the big boys' rules. Absolutely. Well, but it was nice. I think this month is the first time I got a, a deposit from Amazon. So it, it's good to, and you can watch it and you see the, they have their uh, dashboard so you can see the results and how much they owe you. Everything's very transparent. So it's not like you have to keep track of what they owe you. It's you know, direct deposited. So it's been a good experience. It just took longer than I expected just like this whole process. I mean, you have an idea, you expect to be in market within a year. And every stage, I kept saying, how much longer? How much longer? We're just doing a logo. How much longer? We're just doing packaging. How much longer? So you do have to be incredibly patient along the process. And it does take about two years to go from idea to market. Mine was 18 months. So I was actually ahead of the curve. Uh, they were very impressed with how much progress we've made. We've sold about 1,050 since we started. We're in 56 retailers. We're in six states. Plus, Jay Hilburn reps are in another seven states that I'm not, don't have retail establishments in. So we're kind of looking at 13 states that have some retail plus Jay Hilburn. And then I have the sales reps that are in another handful of states. So we're getting there one step at a time. Wow, that's huge, David. Congratulations on your success. I'm really happy to see that you were able to go through the whole journey yourself. You pushed through and now you're in, not only are you in one of the largest marketplaces online, but you're also in some of these smaller stores and you're able to have that personal relationship. And most importantly, you're, you're making an impact in the world through your product. And that's kind of what you set out to do. So that's, that's huge. Are you able to share how much income is maybe a percentage of your family needs are you getting from this product? I wouldn't say we're dealing with our family needs uh, yet, uh, but the positive side is that from second quarter 2015 to third quarter 2015, I doubled. From third quarter 2015 to fourth quarter, I doubled. So I'm hoping that that continues to, to be the trend that we double first quarter 2016 that we did in 2015. But I think, it's, again, it comes down to patience uh, and just you know, allowing it to happen. You can't rush it. If you're rushing relationships with retailers, they, they feel that sense of what's, what's wrong. Why are you rushing me about making a purchase? You seem so desperate. You can't seem desperate. You have to just say, hey, here's a great product. Love for you to make an order. You know, I'd love to see my minimum order to 80. You know, that's what comes in a case. But realistically, it's a new product, and I understand it's risk for them. Uh, so I'm happy to buy 10, 20. Let the, 
you know, and, and as long as they do their job and explain it to their customers how it works and they keep reordering, that's fine. I mean, I have a, a company down in Charleston, South Carolina, Dumas and Sons, that ordered 30 the first time. They were sold out by the end of the week. They ordered 50, they just ordered 30 more. So, yeah, it was only 30, but now look at the order. Now it's 110. You know, so that's great. You guys have been great to do it at 110 initially, but being a new product, they don't know if it's going to sell. So they don't want to take a whole lot of risk. But I'm glad they believed in me. They believed in the product, and they gave it a shot. And now it's doing really well. And it's got to be the right target market. You got to have that 30 to 60 year old that wears open collar to work on a regular basis. You have to be patient with the big box stores too, because that's what everyone told me to go. Go hit Nordstrom's. This is perfect product for Nordstrom's. Go call Men's Warehouse. Go call Belk and Dillard's and uh, Saks Fifth Avenue. I mean, I hit all of them. And I got email addresses, and then you got to find out who the buyer is and send them a sample. And I did all that. But no one said, I'll take 1,000. I'll put it in 50 stores. The biggest box store that had interest was Bed Bath & Beyond, and that was in October. And he said, I want to have you in Florida to Virginia in 10 stores as a test. And the corporate office will get in touch with you. Well, I never heard back from the corporate office. I called him a couple times. I'm still hoping we can get in there. But I think I just hit him you know, towards the end of the year. And by Christmas season, I think I just kind of got put on the back shelf. And I can't take it personally. I can't call back and leave a voicemail that's full of hate because they didn't put me on the store shelves like they right. said they were going to. You know, as much as it was a, a step backwards, I also want to keep a good relationship with that buyer uh, for Bed Bath & Beyond. You know, Belk I met with, they said, we think it'll be lost in the shelf. And I said, where's the innovation? How many new products do you have on your shelf? You know, is it just about hiring someone to stand behind a register and ring things up? What about putting the salespeople on the floor to educate people about products? Where is that side of retail? Again, it's so hard when someone says no to not fire back with an emotional email. And that's something I've learned over the last 20 years of business that you just you know, thank them for their time, thank them for their consideration. I hope you reconsider. Here's why I think it'll be a big hit. I'm happy to come in and demonstrate the product for you. My time, you don't have to pay me. I'll even give you the proceeds. You know, I did that for a couple of retailers. Like, I'm happy to come in and demonstrate the product for you. Maybe people get excited about meeting the inventor or seeing the demonstration, whatever. I'm here to help you. So I'm hoping over time, more retailers, once the small retailers start hitting it big, the retailers say, hey, I want that product too. And they'll come knock on my door. And I'm also hoping that being at Magic next month, some of the bigger retailers will be impressed or see the buzz, see my website, see that you know, we're in six states. And they'll say, hey, maybe we should take a, you know, take a chance on this guy and, and put his product in our store. I just really need one big box store to do it because I think they'll all follow once one does it. And, and most of the buyers like the product. They may not love it because it's different. And again, you got to be the storm. You got to keep knocking. You got to keep calling. You got to keep emailing. If you want your product to get in the store shelves, you can't call once and then hope they call you back because you'll be you'll be dead by the time they ever turn that phone call. So that's you know another big big point to drive home to entrepreneurs out there and business owners out there is, you know, don't be satisfied with one phone call. Hey, I did my job. I called Belk and that was it. You keep pounding. You keep pounding. Who knows someone at Belk? Network. I started a group here uh, called the Charlotte Entrepreneur Think Tank to surround myself with other entrepreneurs, business owners, because I need their network to get into Belk. I need their network to get into the big box stores. Who do they know? Where do they shop? A warm lead is better than a cold lead. Uh, and just continue to get yourself out there and learn to you know do public speaking and learning to uh, present yourself in front of strangers. And if you're not willing to get yourself out there, you're going to have a really hard time being successful. It's not for the introvert, that's for sure. David, thanks for all of that. I think I could talk to you probably for next hour and I think you'd have plenty of content. I love your energy. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Do you have a tip or two for uh, other small business owners or entrepreneurs that are looking to uh, manufacture and sell their own product? What's that one tip they should take from this? I'd say find a product that you're passionate about. You know, if you're not passionate, it won't get you through the tough days. And if you're passionate and you wear your product or you use your product personally, you have 100% faith in your business and your product. And that passion comes through when you talk to people. When you do demonstrations, they'll, they'll feel your energy. People buy you just as much as they do the product. So if you're not passionate about your product, you have the wrong product. So if you have five ideas or 10 ideas or concerning being an inventor or concerning bringing a product to market, pick the one you're most excited about. And that's the one that's going to have the best chance for success. But also go to the marketplace and see what else is out there that's like your product to see if you're just another product that's amongst several hundreds of other ones just like it. So try and find something that's really unique, solves a problem, because that's something I had to convey in front of Amazon. What problem does your product solve? And do how many people have that problem? So make sure the solution you have solves a problem for as many people as possible. Keep your market as, as general and as big as possible and be passionate because that passion gets you through all the tough days. You know, I have a couple good days a week. My grandfather used to tell me, if you can have one great day a week, you're doing pretty well. I was like, Grandpa, that sounds pretty morbid. He was like, yeah, that's the way life is. So he said, you know what? Don't complain about your one bad day. 
you know, be happy if you have one good day per week. Uh, and that's something you really have. I've always kept in the back of my mind all these years that, you know, it's not easy to bring a product to market. It's easy to fail. It's easy to criticize. It's easy to, uh, to let somebody else do it. But for you to, to grab that product that you're passionate about, that you feel solves a problem and take it to market, there's going to be a lot of people that are naysayers, a lot of people that aren't going to uh, believe in you or uh, poo-poo your idea just because it wasn't theirs. But keep pushing forward. If you believe enough in it, uh, you can bring it to market. David, that's awesome advice. Now, as we're wrapping up the show, can you tell people where uh, they can find you? Sure. And if, in case people have questions, how's the best place for them to reach you? Sure. The best place to reach it is through the website, which is perkycollar.com. That's P-E-R-K-Y, collar, C-O-L-L-A-R.com. That has the nicest, that's the professional box. It's the most elegant you can store between uses. For a period of time, they'll have the old box available on Amazon. And if you're Amazon Prime, you get free shipping, which is always a nice benefit. And then uh, if you go to the website and click on the retail page, uh, feel free to support my local retailers. I mean, again, it's all about grassroots helping them. So don't buy from my website if you have a store near you that sells it because you don't have to pay shipping. So again, it's all about getting the product to market for the lowest price possible, but maintain high quality. One other tip I, want to, I meant to add in the last comment was surround yourself with other professionals. It's incredibly important. You can learn from a lot from other people. Find a mentor. You know, everyone has strengths and weaknesses. If you can surround yourself with people that have strengths that where you're weak, it makes a big, big difference. It'll save you a lot of money. And be humble enough to realize you're not great at everything. This is my third business. And one thing I've learned from my previous two businesses is don't try and do everything to yourself. Surround yourself with incredibly talented people. And if you're passionate about what you're doing and they can see you're driven, they're going to want to be around you and want to be a part of something that you make that's special. But it's incredibly important to you know, have a, a monthly luncheon or a monthly social or a weekly lunch. Go to groups that are out there, meetup groups or chamber groups or B&I groups or CBO groups or whatever is out there that's in your neighborhood that's close to you. Get, a, get connected with those people. And regardless of what field they're in, there's something you can learn from them. There's an experience that you can share with them. There's resources. There's companies to do business with. There's people you can trust. And I think that's the biggest factor as being an inventor is before I invest in a manufacturer, who can I trust? Because if they come out with the wrong product and I spent $7,000 or $10,000 on a product that comes back wrong, I'm in big trouble. That's a huge loss for me. So finding people in packaging, finding people in art design, finding people on website that I can trust is a huge, huge uh, tip uh, to find. And only you're going to find those people is if you get out there in networking meetings. Absolutely agree. You know, I have a business partner that I work with where every Monday we email each other and we say, you know, what did you accomplish last week? What are you struggling with this week? And it helps just to keep us on track. So totally agree about having the right network. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I love your energy. I think people really got a lot out of this episode. And I'm excited to actually publish this online because you're probably the best guest that I could have hoped for for my first episode. So thanks a lot for coming on the show. Um, and I'm hoping that a year from now, we'll have you back on the show and you can tell us about some of the new things that you've created and how your business has grown. Excellent. Well, thank you again so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, one last point. I understand that being an entrepreneur, and I think this is something everyone can relate to, it is a lonely world. So by surrounding yourself with other entrepreneurs, other business owners that have been there, done that, it makes it feel less lonely. And sometimes our spouses or our loved ones or our family, they're nine to five business people, and they don't understand you. They don't get you. Uh, they don't appreciate what you're doing. They think what you're doing is a waste of time or money. So if you can surround yourself with other entrepreneurs and have that mentor that kind of keep you going when, you, when times are tough, it really does make a big difference. Awesome advice. Thanks again, sir. And I uh, hope to talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Thank you for your time. Look forward to being on the show again in a year. And that's all I have for today. Thanks for listening. I've put all the links that we've covered under the show notes posted on theproductstartup.com slash episode two. Join me next week as I talk with Heidi Pungartnik, a designer gone entrepreneur. She writes and talks about the importance of graphic design in business and helps bootstrapping founders figure out branding, marketing, and conversions. Design for Founders on episode three. And one last thing. If you like this episode and you want to see more like it, or even if you'd want to see something different, it'd be a huge help if you could leave a review on iTunes. I'd really appreciate your support, and I'd read all the comments and questions and try to incorporate them in future episodes. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast with your host, Philip Valitza. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit theproductstartup.com. Your guide to getting there. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. 
This podcast series is brought to you by Mako Design and Invent, the first firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product businesses. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to makodesign.com. That's M-A-K-O design.com for a free consultation from one of Mako Design's four design studios from coast to coast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.